All right. You know when you're ready. I'm okay, ready. then I'll stop typing. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. It's rude to type <laughs> while someone's talking, Paul. <laughs> Star Trek, our favorite frontier. These are the podcasts of Aaron and Polly. Their ongoing mission to explore all things Trek, to seek out cool things and pick them apart, to boldly complain as no one's complained before. I'm Aaron. And this is Paul. Welcome to week three of Star Trek Discovery Season 2 and another very exciting episode of Star Trek with Aaron and Polly. Where we will always remain Klingon. Always. And we're, you know, Paul and I are usually just shorn down to our scalps, right? And, you know, because we're getting back to our Klingon roots, you know, we have grown out our magnificent locks of hair. I mean, we're, yes. we're, we are we are just you know we 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 practically look like Klingon Jesus. I mean, we have just got hair <laughs> all over. To be to be fair, neither of us are particularly blessed in the uh, <laughs> the head of hair department. <laughs> so, so we more look like you know we we still we have the island in the middle uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> and the hair on the back. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, but yeah, which, which is honestly kind of how Klingons look. <laughs> kind of bit. Kind of bit. So, um, before we get into talking about this week's episode of Star Trek Discovery, there were actually some Star Trek comics that came out this week. And we actually read them. That's that, that is the, I mean, I think there are Star Trek comics every week. We just don't read them. Well, but, we don't, we, uh, this I, one of us reads them. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. one of us. Yeah, one of us. One yeah. of us. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I, I gotta tell you, the, the much anticipated, uh, Star Trek 2020, uh, meaning it's either a story 20 years in the future or 20 years in the past. Uh, mm-hmm. This is the Star Trek edition of that uh, about Picard during his days on the Stargazer and written by Peter David and illustrated by J.K. Woodard. Um, I was really looking forward to this book, Paul, and boy, mm-hmm. it did not disappoint. I really you enjoyed know, I- this book. Yeah, I thought it was great. You know, it, so this story is set 20 years before the events of um, Star Trek The Next Generation, even though I don't know if it's 20 years before the first episode or just some some point in the past um, and features Picard's first uh, interaction with Beverly Crusher or at this point in her uh, career or life, I should say, uh, Beverly Howard, because she is uh, engaged to be married to uh, Picard's number one. Um, How? Uh, what is the guy's name? Something, something Jack, Howard. Jack Crusher. Or something, um, Jack Crusher. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, 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 I decided to pick this one up as well. And I thought it was really well done. I, I, I had some qualms with the art, which I'll get to here in a minute. But mm-hmm. story-wise, I thought it was uh, – Picard is a new captain, mm-hmm. and he's out to prove something to his crew. 
Yeah. And, and uh, it goes horribly awry. <laughs> well, as these things do. Um, I, yes. th- I thought that uh, Woodard did a, a remarkable job on making the characters look like the actors uh, mm-hmm. who played them. I mean, you know, up to and including uh, Jack Crusher, who, you know, what, what do we see once, maybe twice in uh, Next Generation? Yeah. Um, I, so I, I really dug that. And I, I think Woodard's got a really keen knack for uh, painting the technology and whatnot. And um, the only thing that, that I I had concerns with in the art is that sometimes I felt like he was trying to make a photo reference fit the panel where the photo yes, and, really didn't suit the panel. And that, that was my issue with it as yeah. well. Um, I, I felt like uh, J.K. Woodard, he, he clearly uses photo reference, which is fine. Yeah. But at the same time, in the context of this book, Picard is 20 years younger. He has hair. And sometimes you can see he just kind of like painted Picard the way he was on the screen without hair and then threw some hair on top of it. And in some panels, it works okay. In some panels, it literally looks like the hair is hovering above his head. (laughs) Um, There's there's on page seven, there's a particular moment at the the bottom right corner of that page in the last panel where Picard's hair is just kind of sitting on top of his bald head. Yeah. Um, And, you know, those those moments I was like, come on, you know, and I'm not a huge fan of photo reference to begin with. I'm more a fan of, Make them look vaguely like the characters without me having to understand that you're watching episodes of the next generation to to, um, you know, look specifically at the photo reference. Yeah. Um, the, the, and so that, that that took me out of the moment. But otherwise, I enjoyed it. He is so, uh, you know, photorealistic in the way he paints the the uh, characters and how how closely he wants them to resemble the actual uh, actors from the show that it reminds me very much of the old Star Trek photo novels from the original series. And I don't know if you've ever seen those, Paul, but that's where they took production stills and produced them like a comic. In fact, if you want to see a modern uh, representation of that, John Byrne has a whole series of comics in which he has taken photo stills from the original series and created new stories out of them, you know, by, by digital, digitally manipulating them. Um, but it, it, there is a certain feel to that because of how he photo references. Uh, but that said, I, I very much enjoyed this. You know, uh, Woodard's got a very painterly style. But beyond that, it was so nostalgic to read Peter David again. I'm not reading a current comic by Peter David these days. Um, you know, and if you're, if you are listening to our funny book show, you know, we read comics every week. Uh, I, I, I don't, I don't think that there's anything been in my pool pile for probably a couple of years from Peter David. I know he's still writing, uh, regularly. I just don't read anything that he's doing. And it was just nice to see him back on this horse. Cause as we shared in last week's show, he used to be the name in both Star Trek novels and uh, Star Trek comics. So it was nice to, to, to read his words again. Yeah, agreed. Um, I, 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 like you said, I, I guess he does write regularly. I, I think he wrote um, Spider-Man or whatever Spider-Man 2099 book for Marvel. And, and, I, and I know he has a lot of, of regular content. I just don't necessarily follow him as a writer anymore. But, um, you know, Star Trek is one of his loves. He writes very well. Um, yeah, he voices in the, in the that char- universe. Yeah, he voices the characters very well, I think. I mean, I, I had no problems believing that these words were coming out of Picard's mouth. And that's not always the case. Uh, you know, there are 
there are some writers who get in with these characters. And I'm like, that doesn't sound like that character at all. You know? So, yeah. I mean, he just, he's got a very, you know, close relationship with these characters and, and it, boy, it was sure nice to read those again. Um, you know, we had, I think we had mentioned last week that, you know, most everything that seems to come out from IDW up until recently uh, with the Star Trek banner on it was written by the Tiptons. And while I think the Tiptons have done a very nice job, it's nice to get some, some fresh air in the room on these, on these books. So I I dug it quite a bit. So Paul, there was another book this week that I conned you into reading. Well, yeah, you did call me into this one because I wasn't originally planning on this one. (laughs) And this one is by the Tiptons. Uh, Scott and David Tipton uh, are the writing team on Star Trek The Q Conflict. And this is a conflict in which Q brings together all of the various crews of uh, Star Trek except Captain Archer because fuck that guy. But you've got your... Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I do wonder. I wonder. It just occurred to me because I was like, this doesn't feel like everybody. Now yeah. I know why. Yeah. It's so you, not. You got your Captain Kirk. You got your Captain Ben Sisko, though. I think he's... He is Captain. He'd just been promoted to Captain, I think, when when they picked him up. Um, you've got your Captain Janeway. And uh seems like there was a fourth one. Kirk Janeway. And you've got um, the, the uh, Sisko. But Kirk Janeway says, but I think the point. Were there just three crews they grabbed? I guess so. No. Um, and wow. No, there were four crews that they grabbed. I'm just so Cisco, Janeway, Kirk, and Picard. Yes, thank you. Duh. Yeah. And so what what's happened is you know Captain Picard is you know out on patrol in the USS Enterprise E. And they realize that all of these stars are going supernova. And of course, you know, n- normally you have a uh, a small amount of stars that go supernova over a given period of time, but these are just very rapidly firing off relatively. And it turns out that there is this conflict amongst these, you know, Q level super beings. And so we find out that we've got, you know, the Q continuum is at war with the Metrons that we saw in the original series, with Trelane, otherwise known as the Squire of Gothos from the original series, and mm-hmm. uh, the Organians, which seems strange to me in that the Organians are uh, peaceful, nonviolent uh, entities uh, from the original series. But we've got these four races of super beings uh, all in conflict with one another, and their war is spilling over into our reality, causing these stars to go supernova and, of course, destroying the systems in which those stars reside. So uh, Picard intervenes with Q, and Q's like, you know what? You're absolutely right. It would be better off if you humans resolved this conflict for us. And so this issue sets up all these four different crews, Kirk, Picard, Cisco, and Janeway, all fighting each other, uh, you know, to, to the death! we can only assume, uh, uh, to win this war. And so each of these super beings, Trelane, uh, the Metrons, Q, and the Organians, pick a champion, right? And those champions will fight to win this conflict. Well, and what I found interesting about that is obviously, um, you know, Kirk is from a different time uh, period, but the rest of them are plucked from different points in their you know, they're not plucked right. from the same point in time so, in their um, respective series. Right. So Cisco is plucked from like season three of Deep Space Nine, mm-hmm. right? Um, yep. 
And and so and what what and the, I think the reasoning for that is that it's before Worf joins that show. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the only reason why they didn't choose him from a period of like the Dominion War. Um, but uh, yeah, but he's he's back on the Enterprise because they pl- they're plucked from um, essentially like between uh, the Next Generation crew is plucked post insurrection pre Nemesis. Right. Um, you know, they're they're in the seventeen oh one E at this point. Yeah. So what'd you think, Paul? I actually enjoyed this book. You know, mm-hmm. it's not an original concept. You know, there's there's the secret wars um that we get, you know, in every basic uh continuity, every basic cinematic unit or not cinematic, but you know, universe. There's some type of pluck everything from a cool point in time and have them fight each other. And this issue was just set up. So I'm assuming they're going to be space battles rather than just like Picard and Cisco, you know, duking it out on top of a mountain. Um, well, and, but and, I, I, and that, that's actually what I hope for. I hope it is space battles. I was a little concerned that everybody's on this one playing field. And I'm yeah. like, you know, I don't really want to see the, these guys go hand to hand. I want to see them, you know, employing starship strategy and tactics against each other. I would agree. I don't think that I don't think that fisticuffs, um, you know, plucking all these different characters to do fisticuffs is befitting the concept of Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> but we don't know. You know, they, they didn't really clarify, but I'm assuming it's going to be space battles. Uh, and if it's not, I think that's a, a missed opportunity to see these different ships at different points in time. Um you know, doing battle, even though I guess in season three of D Space Nine, they didn't really have a ship because right. that was before they, um, their. Well, no, at the end of season two, they got the Defiant. So, yeah, they Defiant. had, they had, they had oh. the Defiant in season three. But, you know, okay. I, I, it was sad to me that they picked Ben Cisco out when they did. Right. Yeah. Because, you know, Ben Cisco has met Captain Kirk. And yeah. and you know so has Jean Luc. In fact, the only the only one who hasn't you know met uh, Captain Kirk here is Janeway. But it would have been nice for uh, for Picard to have whispered, you know, I met him once. You know, I, I was there the day mm-hmm. he died. And you know, and, and you know, Cisco makes some aside like, yeah, I I, I was there at uh, you know at you know uh, Deep Space Seven where, where, wherever they were with the uh, Trouble with Tribbles episode. Um, you know, I it just. It would have been nice to have had that connection, but you don't get that. I mm-hmm. also would have liked to have seen an interaction between, uh, you know, movie era Next Generation Wharf versus Deep Space Nine Wharf. You know, that would have been interesting. That would have yeah. been fun. So you know, and I mean, I, 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 I gather that they want to get these characters while they're all together, so they want to get them you know, during their show era, right? So you want to grab yeah. the Ben Cisco character and the Deep Space Nine crew while they're all there. You don't want to get them after the Dominion War when they've all gone their separate ways. And the same thing with Voyager. I get that, but I just wish we had get, got them in different places. Yeah. You know? It's a very, and you know, the the 1701E, the, the, the Next Generation crew, I'm surprised they went with that era. And I again, you know, I'm, I'm assuming at some point we'll find out why those specific eras. Yeah. Well, and why um, not, and why not like, get Kirk during the movie years? Why not get him like post Wrath of Khan, you know? Yeah. Well, I guess everyone wants to see young Kirk, right? They don't necessarily want to see the older crew. They're, they're used to drawing the younger crew. But I, I, full disclosure, I prefer the, the characters in their um, later years yeah. than I did when they were young. No, yeah, and um, I love those you know, uniforms, right? I mean, exactly. I, I love the uniforms. Yeah. I love that the, the, the uniforms in Undiscovered Country, you know? Um, I, I think that... Well, and, and I do... A pre, my favorite uniform is the Next Generation ones they feature in here. 
Yeah. And I, I will say one of the things that I find a little weird is that of the four super entities that are in this book, three of them all faced Captain Kirk, right? So it's hmm. it's strange to me. I mean, if I'm these guys, at least one of them, I would say, you know, okay, well, I'll take the original series Kirk, and I'll take movie era Kirk. <laughs> you know, we'll put we'll you know, put the, I, the Kirks against each other. I understand. Now that would be interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You I know, mean, pulling the characters from different, pulling the same character from different points in time. Give me, right. you know, the, to give me original series Kirk. You know, movie Kirk. Um, I guess there's really only two eras of Kirk. But dead, well, there's dead Kirk. <laughs> There's dead Kirk. Well, you could have Kirk. gone. You could have gone with Kelvin Kirk. Oh, that's true. You know, that's true. I mean, I, I, and, I get that the idea is that let's put all these crews against each other, but you really haven't done that when you don't include Archer. I, I do find. Well, you know, they could be reserving that. Yeah, yeah uh, he, for a later issue. You're right. Or they perhaps could, he's just not a fan of uh, lending his talent to, to you know, lending his likeness to adaptations. Because I don't know that I've seen Enterprise interpreted in any of these books. I, I I I am not prepared to answer that question. Yeah, I don't know. You know, in, in, I'm, I'm thinking about it, right? And I'm yeah. like, have I ever seen I, that that crew represented in comic book form? I truly don't believe that uh, Paramount would have signed any of those guys if they didn't sign away their likeness rights, though. That's true. And I, there were comic books at the time. I yeah. do recall there being a Star Trek Enterprise comic book. I just don't know that I've seen it in the IDW books. In the IDW worlds, yeah. yeah. Well, and if there if there has been, I've not picked it up. But of course, I'm not a big fan of Enterprise. But uh, anyway, I got to no, kick. But I, I do like Scott Bakula. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, it's not that I dislike those actors. I just disliked that show, except for the last yeah. season. Um, I, I what's funny to me is that we've got more to say about this book than we did the Picard book. And I, yeah, I think that's a real demonstration as to as to how tickled we are by the concept. Uh, that yeah. we're going, ooh, but what if they had done this? Ooh, ooh, or what if they do that? Or what if they tap that guy in later? I mean, you know, they're holding him in reserve. The Beagle's going to no, be in here. <laughs> you know? So we clearly seem a little jazzed by this one. And I got to say, the art I actually liked in this book more. Uh-huh. Um, it wasn't the painterly J.K. Woodard style, but it, it's it's comic booky style. And I know who the characters are with them, without them being photo referenced, which is always my preference yeah. when it comes to um, to comic books based on IPs. Yeah. Now, I will say, did you read the digital ash can at the back of the book? I did not. Um, but it, how was it? It's great. I enjoyed that quite a bit. And I... I I think that may be a story that's already been produced uh, that's yeah. out there. Um, I'm going to have to go get it because I really – I thought I owned all of the uh, Star Trek Kelvin Universe books. This is Q showing up in the Kelvin Universe uh, you know, with the Chris Pines crew. And it actually ties into the whole Nero storyline. Um, I dug it a lot. You know, it's uh, – hmm. you know, Picard shows up and uh, – the, the the pages were just great, so I'm I'm gonna have to go check that out. And apparently yeah, that I'll, takes I'll, place. I'll read the ash apparently it takes place in in the Kelvin Universe Star Trek books. And that is Star Trek number thirty five is where that story starts. So I'm gonna go check that out because I, I enjoyed it a great deal. But Paul, oh okay, yes, I, I want to know: Did you enjoy Star Trek Discovery season two, episode three, Point of Light? So I have some thoughts. <laughs> Let me start by saying I actually did enjoy the episode, uh-huh. um, but I do want to say that I it is the most 
season one esque episodes so far. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it hops back and forth. There there's there's the stuff on the internet. There's basically two storylines going on concurrently that that very loosely tie together in one sequence. But otherwise, it's two completely separate stories. One is essentially a backdoor pilot to section thirty one. Um, and and kind of closes the door on the Tyler storyline, sets him up as a character that will be featured in Section 31 with uh, Mirror Universe Georgiou. And the other one is the res- – I don't even want to say the resolution, but features um, an explanation for what's happening with Tilly and the uh, holographic interpretation of her childhood friend. And I enjoyed them differently, <laughs> I should say. Um, you know, the fact that they hop back and forth with the fact I was like, I'm waiting for these stories to converge and they never do. Um, overall, I did enjoy it, uh, but I, I was immediately I was immediately concerned when they had the previously on Star Trek Discovery and they showed the goddamn Klingon boobs. Yeah. And I'm like, come hey, on, can we move past? That? Why is that sequence the one you show? They paid a lot for those boobs, Paul. Uh, what I wonder is why we're not seeing, you know, uh, double Klingon penis because they also spent a lot of money on that. Seems like we'd see we'd see just as much double Klingon penis as we do Klingon boobies. But uh, you know, I will say I really enjoyed episodes one and two of this season. And while mm-hmm. I was entertained in episode three, this episode did not attempt to do the same things that episodes one and two did. This episode was more of a bridge to get us deeper in. Cause you've really got three things going on in this story. You've got, uh, you know, playing catch up with Ash Tyler and Laurel on the Klingon homeworld. You've got, uh, Incentilli, or I'm sorry. Yeah. Incentilli, um, having, you know, seeing a, a, uh, a ghost, uh, and, you know, the more development in that story. And then you've got the, you know, search for Spock essentially occurring when Amanda, Spock's mom and uh, Burnham's foster mom shows up on the ship. So you got these three things going on. Only one of those stories really resolves. Uh, but, you know, it bridges us into a next story. So let's take them in order. Uh, and Centilli is continuing to see May, a girl that she only knew for six months when she was a teenager in junior high, and that we find out has died. Turns out, you know, she's been seeing this person, and, you know, Tilly says this, and I had I, I, I had shared my observation that I thought it had something to do with the dark matter that, you know, she came in contact with. Well, and Tilly says, you know, I started seeing this after I, I touched the dark matter, um, but it's more than that because as Michael Burnham says later on, she goes, well, I touched the dark matter and I'm not seeing dead people though. She is seeing red aliens, um, red angels. I mean, uh, we, we are reminded that a mycelial spore hit her and, you know, uh, dissolved into Tilly meaningfully back in season one. And it turns out that perhaps the dark matter, energized, pushing that mycelial spore to perhaps evolve, change, what have you, and become a sentient fungus, much like my college roommate. Um, so this, this, this sentient fungus within Tilly, uh, you know, apparently is leeching Tilly's memories to create May. What I don't understand about that, you know, because Tilly only knew May when May was a child, she has transformed May into an older person, and that's the that that's the strange thing. Because if she was taking it, if the fungus was taking it from memory, how would how would it know to age her up? 
That was weird. Well, they did they did kind of because I wondered the same thing, and they basically were like, "Ah, oh, your mind does funny things." <laughs> that was basically <laughs> their explanation for it. Ah, oh, your mind does funny things. Um, but they, but, but they, uh, they, they do manage to extract the fungus from from Tilly, and it looks like yeah. a, a big snot ball, right? That yeah. uh, they they put into a force bubble. So I'm I'm sure there's more of that to come because the fungus wanted something. Um, yeah, it was I wanted something from Stamets from Stamets because and it kept referring to Stamets as the captain, and it referred to Stamets as the captain because Stamets is the guy who pilots the ship through the uh, spore network. Um, mm-hmm. So you know maybe it's I want to get back to the the mycelial continuum, uh, but you know it does beg a question, and I, and I think this is the purpose of the episode. It's got you asking questions. Um, you know we know that Culver Stamets's husband uh, is in the is in that uh, mycelial network. So is it Culver that he's talking to there, or is it a sentient fungus? Ah, that's good my question. That's, that's my question. Okay, so, well, before we move on from that storyline, yeah. I do want to say something in reference to that because that. So, like we said, there are three storylines going on. One's kind of you know the Burnham, um, which we're going to talk about here in a second. The Burnham and um, Spock's mom storyline yeah. is one thing. Amanda is one thing. This one kind of goes the length of the episode, as does the Tyler Laurel storyline, mm-hmm. and they're. I felt like the episode – so this storyline basically stops when they pull the snot monster out yeah. of Tilly. Yeah. Um, and then like the they, then they hop back – the booger. <laughs> then, then, then they hop back to Tyler and Laurel. And then I kind of expected them to hop back to the storyline and they don't. Yeah. So it just felt like a very abrupt ending. I felt like, oh. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, I guess we'll continue that next week because it – like they pull the snot monster out. Episode over. Like, yeah. we never go back to find out. Like, the last time we see the snot monster is, like, floating in air. And yeah. that's it. Yeah. Um, well, but I do want to say, did you notice new disco shirts? I did notice new disco shirts. H- how long can it be before Paul's running in a new disco shirt? I, I did I did look at it online. I will probably purchase it. It's the new <laughs> cadet training program disco shirt. It's pretty sweet. They have hats, too. <laughs> <laughs> what what did, did they come with snot monsters? They do not. Well, I mean, maybe if you, if you spend a certain amount, yeah, it's yeah, possible. You get the, the premium edition. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So on Kronos, Laurel, who's uh, grown out her, her hair, uh, and boy, Klingons, they grow some hair pretty fast. I mean, that's... Yeah, that's, no that's joke. A, all of them awfully hairy, um, including Ash <laughs> Tyler, you know, who's got this just crazy uh, beard thing going on. Uh, yeah. You know, and, and he's got his... Uh, you know, hipster doofus top knot thing going too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hipster doofus. Yeah. A man, well, it's not even a mon- man bun. It's just, yeah, it's weird. Yeah. He looks like he's, you know, going to serve you coffee in Seattle. So, uh, <laughs> you know, Laurel is still very much in love with Ash Tyler slash Vogue, right? Um, but we, when she reaches out and tries to, you know, uh, you know, get us some some new shots of uh, perhaps uh, you know cling cling on boobies. Ash Tyler recoils and and confides in her. He says, you know, every time you touch me, it feels like violation, because you know when he yeah. was going through his transformation, he did not remember their encounters as sweet sweet lovemaking. He remembered it as rape, 
And I think that, that that's a really interesting story to tell, particularly from a male perspective, when you typically get that yeah. from a female perspective. Um, you know, he sees that as, you know, he was he was horribly violated and abused. Um, and of course, you know, that was never what Laurel did to him. It's just it's the memories that he has and the, and the way those memories were were restructured uh, after that, that rather, you know, torturous uh, transformation he underwent. But, you know, Laurel is the chancellor of the Klingon Empire, and she is she has busily worked to consolidate all the families, you know, into uh, one empire as opposed to being, you know, clan led as they were in season one. And as such, they have combined their resources to design their flagship design uh, for their fleet, the Klingon D7 battlecruiser, which is the model type that you saw in the original series Star Trek and even in Star Trek The Motion Picture. Um, uh-huh. It is a design with which we are all familiar, and it unites the Empire under one banner. It doesn't have a, a Klingon house sigil on it. It has the, the uh, unified emblem of the Klingon Empire. But of course, you know, the Klingons are a patriarchy. And uh, the patriarchy doesn't want to let go of its power to a female. And so there, there's all kinds of machinations, very what I would characterize as dishonorable machinations uh, going on in the background um, to unseat Laurel. You know, and using her relationship with Ash Tyler, because even though it's well documented that he he was originally uh, Klingon and then transformed into a human to serve the Klingon Empire, nobody respects his current form. And, and of no. course, a few respected his original form because he was an albino. So he's got all of that working against him. So yeah. uh, and on top of it, he's got the hair thing. Well, but a magnificent beard, Paul. A magnificent beard. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, 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 that beard is all the way full out on his chest. I mean, he is, he is a magnificent beard Ash Tyler is sporting. But we find out, and the, the, a secret kept from even Ash Tyler himself, that when Voke and Laurel were knocking boots but prior to his transformation, Laurel got pregnant and birthed a boy. And uh, that boy, also albino as Voke was, uh, has been kept in secret because... Uh, you know, Laurel didn't want to tie Ash Tyler to uh, Klingon in that manner, and she felt that the having a, a child, uh, and I, I wasn't sure if it was out of wedlock or you know with uh, Voke, but it would work against her. It would weaken her for them to see her as mother, right? Yeah. Um, and so she's she's kept him in secret, but of course, one of her enemies has found out about this. And chooses to to use it against him. Hijinks ensue, and it looks like Laurel and Ash Tyler are about to be murdered by uh, the evil bad Klingon. When who shows up to save the day? Mirror Universe Captain Giorgio. Yes, I have one complaint about that because you know okay. you knew Section Thirty One, particularly with. Uh, um, Ash Tyler having shared with Burnham earlier in the episode, hey, I think there's going to be a problem here on Kronos uh, with uh, you know the, the houses not uniting behind Laurel. You knew that someone was coming. My problem is we've seen so many previews of that scene uh, with Giorgio in the hood that there was no yeah. surprise to it. And that's one of the things, I mean, you are not paying for CBS All Access unless you're a Star Trek fan. 
So I really wish they would not take these reveals and put them in their trailers because we're going to watch it anyway. Um, I wish that what they would include in the trailers is just the big shots that that aren't a surprise. Um, I, I just it, it bugged me because I'm like, well, that, that 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 was one of the that would have been a cool surprise, except I knew exactly who that was going to be. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I mean, it was a well done sequence. I and I, I think that uh, the actress Michelle Yeoh, who plays Giorgio. Uh-huh. I think that's a good fit for her Absolutely. is the is the kind of like anti-hero, um, no, absolutely. you know, emperor slash uh, Section 31 agent now. Yeah. And so, you know, she she sh- saves the day, saves Laurel, saves Ash Tyler and then confides in Laurel. Hey, look, baby's working against you. Ash Tyler's working against you. You need to kill both of them. And Laurel refuses to do so. So the solution is Ash Tyler uh, it drops off the baby at uh, at the temple at Boreth because you know uh, monks and you know they're closed off from society, so the kid will be safe there. And Ash Tyler is recruited into Section Thirty One. Meanwhile, on Kronos, Laurel has replicated an Ash Tyler head and a dead baby body and said, "You know, my enemies uh, uh, killed my children. Uh, you know, Ash Tyler betrayed us." Right, that's what it was. Ash Tyler betrayed us. Uh, you know, killed my killed my child that I had in secret with Voke. You know, and I, she kind of made it like Ash Tyler's not Voke anymore in the, in that yeah. speech, and then said that the guy who actually was trying to kill them saved their lives and died in the process, and you know, thus fully unifying the uh, Klingon Empire. And she says, you know, I don't want you calling me Chancellor anymore. I will have no other children. You are my children. You may now call me mother. What'd you think about that, Paul? Uh, you know, has that been established? This mother thing in in Klingon? In no, there 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 is established that there have been the rare, uh, you know, female leader of the uh, of the empire. Um, but no, there there's not been a uh, you know a title of mother, you know, a political title of mother. Yeah, and, and, I, and or referenced, yeah. nor has there really been. Um, you know, I was wondering if Voke and um, Laurel's son was being set up to be something as well. Um, you know, something that maybe we've previously seen, but I don't recall any albino Klingons really in our um, previous the, Star Trek the only experience. Al- the only albino Klingon that I recall from Star Trek was in Deep Space Nine, and it was the albino Klingon that killed. Uh, uh, the kids of the of the old original Klingons from the original series. Do you remember that mm-hmm. episode where you know Dax, Dax joins them on a on a bounty hunt for the for for that guy because you know he killed their kids or killed one of their kids. Um, but I will say, and I'm glad I'm, I'm glad I brought that up because the Klingon who uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know tried to murder Laurel and Ash Tyler was from House Core. Kor is an ancient house in the uh, in Klingon history. Kor was one of the uh, Klingons from the original series, as well as from Deep Space Nine. Yeah, so, okay. Tying deeply into Star Trek history. So, yeah. I, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, I, I felt like I knew where that was going. You know, when she, you know, when she said, don't call me chancellor anymore, call me. And I'm like, oh, she's going to say mother. And sure enough, it did. Uh, which, you know, I like when I can predict the writing <laughs> and that kind of thing where it feels organic. I'm, I'm following the logic that the uh, character is setting up. 
I, I, I dug this episode in that story element. But again, this really wasn't an episode that felt like it had a, a beginning, middle, and end. It was an episode that felt like it was it was designed to get me from episode two to episode four. Yeah, agreed. I think it, you know, and everything in this episode was set up for other things. Yeah. Yes, the uh, the, the Tilly storyline furthered in in pulling that thing out of her. This was definitely backdoor pilot. Like, let's close out some of the story threads from season one. Let's set up section thirty one, um, and you know, kind of ease the fans' concerns about Klingon as well. Yeah. So in the third storyline with, you know, Mm -hmm. concerning Spock and the Red Angel, Michael Burnham and Amanda, uh, (laughs) we get a revelation as to what happened between little girl Michael Burnham and little boy Spock. Um, Michael Burnham reveals to Amanda that she understood that the logic fanatics what was the term she used the the um uh, oh the the logic radicals yeah were something like that yeah something like that were you know were were gunning for um uh, uh, Amanda and Sarek and because they couldn't get Amanda and Sarek they were going to go through them uh they were going to go through Michael Burnham to get Spock you know to you know push Spock out and alienate yada yada to hurt Sarek and, and Amanda and Michael Burnham felt like the way that she could protect Spock was to uh, push push him out, you know, to, to make him stop following her around because, you know, uh, he was her little brother and he followed her everywhere. Apparently, at some point, they were very close. And so uh, I feel like, you know, I, I had said last week that maybe it was a Pon Far thing. It sounds a whole lot more like... Uh, she pushed him out by by really emphasizing his alienness, like maybe you know yeah. you don't belong on Earth, you don't belong on Vulcan, you don't belong anywhere, kind of thing. And it crushed him, you know, it hurt him, and you know it reveals that you know he has always had that hurt, um, which is why he won't be in the same room with Michael Burnham, and why the family has not been able to get together all four of them. Someone's always busy, Amanda says. And what I found really interesting about the way this played out, for a moment, you felt like, or I did anyway, I felt like Amanda was going to say, okay, well, now we know we can, we can, we can, you know, repair this. That's not what she does. I mean, I really did. There was that moment because she kisses, you know, Michael Burnham because Burnham is just all, you know, busted up about this. She, this has been a weight she's carried for years. And when she grew to adulthood, she has tried many times, we hear, uh, to heal this rift and Spock won't take her call. Spock won't talk to her. He will not engage on this subject. And, you know, Amanda, you know, embraces her, kisses her on the cheek. And, and Michael Burnham says, well, I will find him. And Amanda says, no, I will. And ices her right out. And I was like, yeah. wow, I did not see that coming. <laughs> you know, I, I, cause you know, Amanda has really come across uh, just as she did in the original series and in the movies is that very, you know, empathetic, uh, you know, sort of, you know, very sensitive, always kind of making the right choice at the right time, you know, uh, but choosing above, you know, working above the line and boy, she just, you, what I read in that expression is, Oh my God, I brought this girl into my house and she destroyed my son. That's what I yeah, read yeah. that scene. And I was like, holy shit. And what I loved about it is I read that on the actress's face. It was never overtly said, but you could just see like, oh my God, I brought this person into my home. I gave her the love. I could not give my son because of his his uh, Vulcan heritage. 
and she destroyed my son. I, I, I thought, yeah. I, I thought it was a really well done scene. Absolutely. I thought, and you know, it was a rare moment of a rare emotional beat for Michael Burnham. I find that with each passing episode, I, I, I'm struggling a little bit with the actress who plays Michael Burnham. Sonequa Martin Green. Yes, uh-huh. because she basically has one expression, which is wide-eyed and surprised, or wide-eyed and angry. Well, you know, they, um, they don't... I, they I don't give her a lot to work with. Well, and you're right. When she was able to be vulnerable and be in a relationship with Ash Tyler, you got to see yeah. her, you know, be more fully human. But you're right. She's very tamped down. She's very Vulcan in the way she uh, in the way she responds to situations. Which I'm sure is the point, right? right? It's just, for me, sometimes it's a little off-putting since she's the main c- character of the but, show that she doesn't have a, a wide range. But in this episode, you see her cry yeah. and get upset and, and truly get hurt, which well, was, I, I thought, not, 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 I mean, obviously I don't like her pain, but it was good to see the actress spread her range. Out yeah, it was, it was nice to see some, some other emotions coming from her. But, you know, I like that scene because you don't get to see a whole lot of her enjoying other people. And so Tilly wins the cadet marathon or the ensign marathon, the trainee marathon, whatever the hell the damn thing was. And you see this just broad smile on uh, Burnham's face. And she's like, you're amazing. And you're like, well, yeah, that's nice. I mean, that, that is yeah. because, you know, you get praise from Michael Burnham. That's not faint praise. You know, that's not it's not no. effusive. I mean, that is well earned. And, you know, so you felt good for Tilly, right? You know, you, you mm-hmm. felt good for Tilly and you felt good for, for Burnham because she was enjoying Tilly's success. Um, I mean, so when you have a character who doesn't get to emote uh, you know, very often, who holds those emotions back, it really makes those emotions a lot more uh, worthwhile when you get to experience them. You know, it's, it's, it's like, yeah, it, it's, I agree. The and scar- plus new the, disco, no new disco shirts. So yeah, right. you know, there's that. Right. And the scarcity, <laughs> the, the scarcity of her emotions makes them more, more, you know, more rare and thus more valuable when, mm-hmm. uh, when, when you get to experience them. So, you know, I, I, this is of the three season two episodes we've had so far, this is my least favorite. But I'll say it was a good episode. I felt like it did a lot of what it needed to do. But this isn't really an episode that stands on its own as the previous two did. No, agreed. You know, the the previous two had that episodic Star Trek classic feel in that you could hop in and there's one adventure. It's wrapped up in one episode. This very much tied into other things from season one, the Section 31 show, and, you know, sets up this this ongoing story thread. But again – I enjoyed the episode. It, of the three, it, it it was the closest to, again, a season one episode for me, which is not great, but I, I still enjoyed it. Yeah. No, I, I, I dug the episode. I particularly uh, enjoyed visiting Kronos again and seeing that our Klingons look more like Klingons. So yeah. uh, I, I was excited for that. So I was also glad that they didn't sp- – that the entirety of our time on Kronos was not spent with subtitles. I hate the way Star Trek Discovery does subtitles. Yeah. Well, I will say I, I am very thankful because they did basically what we said. Yeah. Which is, you know, in mid-conversation, convert to English, but with the understanding that right. it's Klingon. Exactly. That's all I needed them to do, and they did that. I was thankful for that. Because the, the – I don't know I, – I don't know if it's just me, but it feels like the, the uh, subtitles go too fast. I mean, I, I had to rewind twice 
to make sure I was catching all all of the uh, content going by. There are definitely a couple of moments that yeah. that were a bit like, whoa, oh, oh, okay, okay, yeah. okay, hold yeah. on. Well, and they and they do the the text so stylized. You know, it's not like your your eye. It's not like it's got a you know Helvetica up there where your eye understands it and it just tracks immediately. You yeah. know, I feel like I'm I'm doing a little bit of translating, <laughs> even though I'm reading the subtitle. So mm-hmm. anyway, I, I was I was glad they did that, and you know I'm glad yeah. I watched this episode, and I'm really looking episode looking forward to episode four. I'm a little concerned, you know, <laughs> I'm loving all this uh, Star Trek Discovery content, but you know, damn, that's three weeks of Star Trek Discovery that's just flown by, Paul. Yeah, and I'm you know they haven't announced it, but is there going to be a mid season break? I have I'm not, assuming. I, I I would assume so as well, but I have not heard. Yeah, I have not heard. But, you know, and last year it was because it premiered in the fall. They took a break through the winter, you know, came back after the first of the year. Um, you know, this year they, they started in the winter. And and so I'm wondering, you know, will we just go straight through of straight 13 episodes or whatever, however many episodes are in the season? Or will there also be another midseason break and it'll return in the summer? I don't know. Yeah. You know, I guess we'll find out. Yeah. Yeah. So, Paul... Thank you for joining me yes, on on this discovery of Star Trek Discovery. <laughs> well, Aaron, remain Klingon. I, you, you know I will. You know, with the help of Kalesh. Kalesh. <laughs> <laughs> See you next hey, time. Uh, before we wrap oh, up, yes. uh, no, I ruined Aaron's. I ruined Aaron's ending. Damn you, um, Paul. Say it again in thirty seconds. Yeah, uh, but before we wrap up, hit us up. On Twitter at Ideology Madness, uh, definitely on Instagram at IOM Geek, Facebook IOM Geek, or you can give us a call on the Ideology of Madness hotline 972-763-5903. That number once again 972-763-5903. And if we use your voicemail on the show, you'll win a coveted, valuable Ideology of Madness surprise. Now you can say it, Aaron. Have a good week. Star Trek with Aaron and Polly is a production of IOMGeek.com. Have a question or comment? Hailing frequencies are open at 972-763-5903. Tribble wrangling provided by Triskelion Trays. No troublesome tribbles. Mr. Aponte's wardrobe provided courtesy of Garrick's Clothiers, conveniently located on the promenade. You are in error. You are a biological unit. You are imperfect.